Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Welcome to the show. Today we're chatting with Kevin McCauley, who's the CEO at Upper Hand. Upper Hand does sports software, fitness software, sports facility management software. Their job is to help sports and fitness centers run their business more effectively. This conversation really covers a lot of topics. Really enjoy talking with Kevin. We start the conversation kind of with the original vision for Upper Hand, which was even under a different name back then. And the idea was for it to be a little bit of a two-sided marketplace. We hear the story of how they pivoted that to be more B2B focused, operations focused. Talk a little bit about the process of educating their customers on certain aspects of running a sports fitness related business. Talk a lot about product roadmap. We talk a little bit about some work-life balance issues, running a tech company. Just a really great conversation. Really think you're going to enjoy it. Find Kevin on LinkedIn. Say thanks for coming on the show. Tell him you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening. With that, I also want to do a quick shout out to Fuel Merchandise Group. Fuel is one of our newer sponsors here to the podcast. You can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. If you need any brand marketing or products for your company, you can get 10% off your first order. Just mention startup competitors at fuelmerchandise.com. And with that, we'll just get right on to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Kevin McCauley, who's the CEO of Upper Hand. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be on here with you guys. Thank you. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Upper Hand? What do you and the team do? We'd always love to share kind of our mission. You know, we at Upper Hand, based here in Indianapolis, Indiana, you know, we strive to build innovative software in sports and fitness, really to help make the management of that business effortless and contribute to a healthier, you know, more active world. We have the belief that the more great businesses in our industry that are in business and thriving and growing, the more options that parents have for their athletes, the more options those parents have for their own fitness and health. We've emerged from just that simple idea of there's a better way to do business than just the status quo in sports and fitness. We will help your business grow no matter where you're at today. You know, so essentially what that means is we provide a full suite of sports and fitness management software to help enable that business to achieve their goals. And three specific sort of key areas for that. One is optimizing your business operations. So essentially improving efficiency by helping you do things like schedule events. Business app helps keep you and your staff updated on the go, whether you're on your iPhone, you know, an Android device, uh, iPad, et cetera, helping make that experience universal across the board. We help increase member satisfaction. We're the first company in our industry to allow the ability for somebody to purchase a membership at a place like an Orange Theory through a phone. You don't have to go in to sign a contract in person. We have a, the ability to help make better business decisions. That's sort of that third uh, component, just simply by using data. Data and analytics is the future of where every business needs to be headed or thinking. So we help leverage customer data to make smarter marketing decisions around how do you get the most uh, lifetime value out of a member within your business and help customize reports and do some of the things you need to run the business to make those decisions better. Across the board, some of the areas of proof that we're proud to speak on you know, customers average about eight to 12 hours saved per week, general increase of about 13,000 in annual recurring revenue for a small business using our software in the first year when they switch, about a 37% increase in dollars spent per client because of the ease of use when you use our product, 
and a 45% decrease in unwanted contact duplication essentially means you're cleaning your data and getting it usable or in a structured format that allows you to really start looking at those key insights. And that's a good place to transition into current status of the company. Any vanity metrics you can share with listeners on where you guys are at? That could be customers, revenue, fundraising, employees, anything, national footprint, anything that kind of paints a picture of the status of the company overall? Yeah, absolutely. We were just named the most innovative tech company the 19th Annual American Business Awards as a Bronze Stevie Award winner. We were named top club management software by Software World, Captera shortlist for club management, membership management, yoga studios. And we work today with some of the largest franchises in the country in sports and fitness, one of them being one of the top 100 franchises in baseball and softball. So really proud of where we're at and who we're working with and excited about the most recent award being the most innovative tech company. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you guys get started? Let's rewind the clock and go there. Talk a little bit about maybe some of the early iterations of the company and how you guys landed at Upper Hand. You may remember a little bit about this, Mike. I saw a need for this online platform when I was coaching baseball in 2012. I'm originally from a small southern town in Indiana called Evansville. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time coaching baseball, and it was kind of in that experience where that need it sort of came to the top. It just felt like, man, it's got to be easier there has to be an easier way to do business in sports. You know, I'd have parents coming to me asking to do training. You know, would you do private lessons with my you know son or daughter to help get better at pitching or hitting or whatever, you know, whatever the particular issue might be that the athlete wants to develop the skill for. And so I launched Book a Coach about a year after I'm starting to see that need. We dubbed it as the destination for sports lessons. And for the business-minded people listening in on this, you know, that would be considered a B2C model. It was a marketplace type environment. And so we got started. We started to see bookings grow. So parents finding great coaches and fitness instructors on that platform to grow their clientele. Unfortunately, as a business person, you know, you start to look at those metrics and see that a marketplace does have a downside in terms of the business model. And that is you've got to spend a lot of money to find the audience on both sides. So the coaches and the instructors, as well as the parents, and then you've got to connect those folks. And essentially it's a fee-based model. And we started to recognize that. And when we were looking at the data, we did see a, a subset of that data where people would come back through the marketplace to keep buying. Whereas typically in a marketplace like Match.com or eHarmony, something like that, you know, when you meet someone, you're not going to keep coming back through that platform. Why would you, right? Why would you keep paying a monthly fee? But for the people that did come back, I went to meet with them in person, you know, their baseball facility, you know, coffee shops, burger places, or football academies, and just asked, hey, why are you using Book a Coach? And the answer was, overwhelmingly, we want a way to run our business. You know, there's no one platform out there that can allow us to communicate to our existing clients. We don't have a new client problem. We just need to communicate and make the most of what we have, you know, schedule those clients, mark those clients, manage the staff on the back end, and all the things you need to run a sports and fitness business. And so as a team kind of regularly pushed those new innovative features, it was around 2015 that I made the decision to rebrand the business as Upper Hand and shift our focus completely from a marketplace business model to building software in sports and fitness, solely focused on really the management side of that industry. And when you did that, were you walking away from an existing kind of pool of revenue and book a coach and like that was significant? And if so, how scary was that? How did you message that to investors, to the team? Or was it so clear and compelling that this was the direction that it needed to go. And, you know, Book of Coach was doing okay, but, you know, not taking over the world. And so this just seemed like the next evolution. For anybody who's 
ever had to pivot or make the decision whether to pivot and whether they did or not, you know, it it's a difficult, difficult decision to make. Most companies that pivot in early stage end up failing. Some of the largest companies, you know, on NASDAQ, most of the companies we have on our apps pivoted at some point though. You know, and that's part of, of understanding your market, listening, right? Understanding your customers, et cetera. But it was a very difficult decision. My business partner and I, uh, Miles Grody, you know, we debated it you know, pretty heavily you know, for a period of time. We got this platform, it's working. You know, typically with a marketplace, you do have to raise a sizable capital because it costs so much to acquire, not necessarily an individual coach, but on a larger scale to really get that marketplace to take off. So yeah, we definitely had those challenges and discussions around, you know, what's the best way to do that? Unfortunately, it's not flip a switch and you've got a new business and turn the other switch off. It very much is a brutal undertaking from a technology perspective, from a marketing perspective. As an example, you know, we switched to testing, just selling what we called the time an academy program, which would be a set of tools to run your sports or fitness business. We were still book a coach. Obviously, when you hear that name, you can imagine what you think it is. And so just from an initial cold calling, you know, reaching out, trying to go to market with a software concept as book a coach was challenging. And that's just sort of the start of that pivot and the transition you have to make. And the key is, you know, kind of like Jeff Bezos says, right, when you're 70% sure of the right direction, then decide because uh, if you wait till you're 90% sure, you've waited too long. And so we decided and uh, never looked back. That's awesome. So talk a little bit about kind of the current landscape. When you look at the market that you're going after today, who or what are the competitors that come to mind? And, and I mean that more like you're more than welcome to name competitors if you'd like, but that's not necessarily the nature of the question. Like just the landscape in general, particularly fitness. I feel like fitness has changed a lot in the last handful of years. When you look at kind of where the landscape is today and where you fit into that, who do you see as competitors in the space, whether they're direct competitors or they're just competitors for kind of the future of the industry? You are right. The changes in fitness, you know, alone Peloton being one of those brands that we all hear, you know, there's Mir, there's a number of them that are on the market now. And and we're not necessarily in the Peloton space, but those types of leaders definitely drive, you know, sort of downstream in an industry change. You know, one thing we've seen across the board in terms of running a business as a whole, you know, data, you know, if you paid attention to or watched the Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference uh, just earlier this week, all the new updates that they had had to do with deep neural networks, machine learning, all that's data driven. So we're seeing, you know, sort of this seismic shift in our industry that I know other people are seeing in theirs as well. To break it down, you know, sort of who we're selling to today and where we are in the market, we sell in three areas. Boutique fitness uh, is one. That segment comprises smaller size studios, often rooted in kind of that single discipline like spin, Pilates, yoga, hit or bar. Then we serve as sports facilities, kind of your more traditional baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, sports performance, and others where you know, you're indoors, you're using turf fields or cages, et cetera. They're often running lessons, camps, clinics, some membership revenue, et cetera. And then you have your, uh, the third category, which is sports training academies. And these are segmented primarily around training athletes through lessons or training programs and camps and clinics. And across the board, you know, when we look at competition, there are a lot of legacy players in the market, some that have been here in the space for a while. Mind Body is one. You got Club Automation, Club Ready, Wellness Living, Easy Facility, Sports Engine, a number of these in different segments of the areas that we target. But really, by and large, I see the competition being really around how, how well we can incorporate our vision of data into the marketplace and where 
we're going? How do we help these small businesses make better business decisions? We just came off a year where, man, so many times last year where you had to make tough decisions. Do I stay open as a business or do I close temporarily? Do I close you know, for six months, eight months? You know, Do I just shut down completely and then just wait till it all ends and open back up? The people that turned to data, had organized data, I suspect will be the ones that made the right decision and come out well. And so there's a lot of different pieces that are happening in our industry and obviously love to talk about it. And when you think of continuing to grow upper hand, where do you see future growth? Is it more of the same and continuing to serve kind of those boutique locations and, you know, more chains and, you know, just continuing the flywheel that's going now? Or do you see branching out into some of those other areas over time? You know, I think we're really vertically focused. So one thing that is evident or more prevalent, I would say, in building a company is, you know, technology is a little bit easier to build. You know, that makes it easier for, you know, some people to enter the market. But the depth of that technology is still pretty weak. If you're able to go vertically, you know, uh, more vertically integrated in your space, obviously you're going to be able to drive more value, hopefully create more cost advantages with respect to your business model. And so we are really focused on the existing flywheel, continuing to add value in our existing vertical. There's a lot of differences between running a boutique fitness you know, yoga studio and a sports facility than there is you know, a hair salon or some other type of wellness beauty type business. And so as long as we can continue to build value for our existing customers, knowing that we are all sitting on this S-curve and you know, the innovators dilemma around what to do with data and how fast some of those different pieces are moving on top of, uh, you also have a bunch of movement in the payments world. We process payments for all of our customers and just how you transact in that space uh, by itself is experiencing significant disruption. So we're very focused in our vertical and continuing to add value for our customers that way. How do you guys figure out the next feature to develop? Talk to me a little bit about your product roadmap. And I think the thing that's more interesting to me, because when I think of your customer base, to me, it feels like the needs of a yoga studio could be very different than the needs of an Orange Theory, which could be very different than, you know, maybe a more free weight focused gym. So when you go out to figure out what to build next, what's your process for doing that? You probably know as well as anybody how that process can look in a number of different forms. But, you know, for us at Upper Hand, there's a couple pieces. And the first and foremost is making sure we've got our ears to the, you know, to the rails in terms of being able to hear where the industry's going. You know, when's the train on the way? When's it leaving? And what's on it, so to speak, is number one, you got to listen to customers, right? Now, having said that, in an industry with a ton of disruption, you start to question, you know, the innovator's dilemma. Customers can also lead you to your grave as a business. So we have to take that into consideration. And then the second sort of piece we look at with customer feedback and sort of how I look at it is you've got two sides to our business, right? So earlier I mentioned, you know, B2C model and, and how we pivoted to really B2B. And years ago when I was pitching that pivot, you know, investors would struggle. It's like, oh, well, it sounds like you guys are a marketplace and a software company. Like, which is it? You know, obviously, sure enough, now it's dubbed as B2B2C. And investors love touting. They invest in those types of companies. That's important to note because when you think about functionality and what to build, they're really two different areas, almost two different products and mindset. Because you are correct that what a client needs at a yoga studio is very different than what a client needs at Orange Theory. But what the business needs is very similar. And so when you start to separate just the two sides of the market that we serve, the business and then their members, there's a lot of alignment with respect to the members, but there's not a lot of alignment when it comes to clients. 
And the client side, consumer side is moving a lot faster than the business side, which makes sense, right? If you look at Apple, you look at Apple Health, you look at you know, obviously the Fitbit stuff, you look at Whoop. I'm the same way as those consumers. I have a Whoop. I have an Apple Watch. I want my health data and I want, you know, if I go work out, I want to know I worked out because it's hard, you know, to get up every day and go do it. So I want to know that I did it and I want to know that I'm getting better. So that's where they really start to separate. And it's difficult. You know, there's a lot of good debates, ongoing debates within upper hand about what to build next. Um, you know, how much do you focus on the business side versus their client member side? Because at the end of the day, if more clients are coming into that business and they're happier, then we're doing our job. Even if that business doesn't have the tool they need or they think that they need, because really the metric for any business is people are coming in, they're paying you and you're getting more of them every day. So that's kind of how we think about it at a 20,000 foot level. How much of what you're doing with a business, or I guess I should say the businesses that you serve. So there's a thing that I'm keying off of here, right? Which is one of the things that you said in there is, you know, at the end of the day, like all of these businesses have these basic business needs, right? They need to sign up their customers. They need to collect revenue. They need to, you know, they need to communicate with those customers. And there's a ton of things you guys do. How much of what you're doing is simply providing software to facilitate that versus educating some of these business owners on the types of things that they should be doing? So an example of that, when I log into QuickBooks, QuickBooks is not shy about trying to help me understand all of the things that I might want to be paying attention to in my business. And if you're a first-time founder, that's great. Like you need that education as much as you need the software. How much of that are you guys doing? Man, I'd love that question because you obviously know know the challenges of that type of business model because that's exactly the types of stuff we deal with every day, right? You've got the software where you know you're trying to facilitate run that business more efficiently, right? So if we can help them spend less time figuring out, you know, which staff's working and how they're paying them out and which members need to be charged and selling the next lesson pack to one of your members. And they can spend more time focusing on developing the curriculum, the training to make those athletes better, that business gets better. But to your second point of how much do you help facilitate education of business models and not just to our own customers and how to improve how they're operating that business, but even internally, you know, one of the biggest challenges I've experienced bringing new employees in to upper hand is helping educate on the different business models that we serve. And it's not a lot, right? I mean, it's probably five, six you know, total business models. Some are more successful than others. And there's probably others that are outside the six that are sort of bad business models. But uh, essentially, it goes back to your point about education. And it's an ongoing piece of curriculum that you have to be evolving because obviously business models evolve and change. We're, you know, we're sitting here talking about disruption in a space like with people like Peloton and Whoop coming into the space and Apple Health and all that trickling down. And so how well are we helping our customers understand those changes? To answer that particular question, so we do help facilitate with the software operate the business. I do see upper hand as the thought leader as it relates to helping people think about their business. Today, we don't package that in any serviceable, sellable product. You know, uh, something we definitely think about a lot. But during COVID, about a year ago, I hosted a a roundtable called the Uplift Roundtable that focused on reopening in the face of COVID. And I created it around best practices. So we hosted some of the top CEOs uh, for some of the largest franchises in the country across sports and fitness, from Curve CEO to the CEO of Gym Guys, to Athletic Republic, et cetera, and just opened up the dialogue around what are you doing today? What are the concerns you have? And there's a great research report that uh, we produced on our website people can go look at. But that goes back to like 
your point about how do you, how much are you educating on how to run that business? And personally, I think it's one of the most important things that that anyone can be doing in our space because that provides the most value, right? And then showing people how to use software as a means to achieving the goal of that education. Because you could switch one software to the next and it's never going to have everything you need. And I would actually advise against switching software frequently, just like you advise not to switch from Salesforce to HubSpot and back again in a short period of time, just for functionality, because you'd hurt yourself internally. But it is a super important part of what we do. And I don't know if we have the best answer on how, how to do it. I think you know, it goes back to listening to customers, where are they struggling the most, you know, what keeps them up at night, and then we stay up all night and try to figure it out. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies. Not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. When you think about how the business is going to change, so now this is kind of mashing up the last two questions. You've got product roadmap and how you're listening. You want to listen to customers, but you also want to be careful not to only listen to your customers, right? You need to play the puck where it's going to be a little bit. And then as business, particularly health and fitness business models are changing so much, and part of what you're doing is, sounds like should be doing it, it seems like you you know, aspire to be this company as well, where you're educating your customers on those changes over time and where the industry is going and how they can best, you know, meet their customers there and provide the best support. When you look at that juxtaposition of the evolution of sports and fitness over the next five to 10 years, be that new technologies, new ways of even in a post-COVID world of some of these brands trying to reach out to their consumers and your product roadmap, what are some of the things that you see that are like you're not actively working on them now, but you can definitely see that they're in the future. They are probably the future of this kind of business that you know you and your team are going to have to tackle. Did anything come to mind when I asked that question? Absolutely. Yeah, it would be becoming much deeper in terms of our market expertise around running a sports and fitness business. And to get there, it would be around investing heavily on data development, data products, really just thinking about how we're helping our customers in the face of data analytics and, and the shift that's happening sort of across the board from, you know, you can go down the predictive analytics side, you go down machine learning side of how we can help our customers use their own data to make better decisions. And in some cases, not even make the decision, just tell them what the decision should be. It is absolutely where we see the industry going in the next, it's already there. But in terms of software companies, I think being there, you know, the next couple of years is going to be critical to success. Can you give some examples there? Is that like data like, hey, raise your prices to X. And while yes, you'll have some attrition, we know based on, you know, we have the crowd, right? We have all of the data. We know that based on a boutique, your size and your geographic location, you should still retain this percentage of your customers and therefore you'll be more profitable with less wear and tear on your equipment. Is it that kind of a thing or what's the kind of data you're looking at from an operations perspective that you think analytics will really be a game changer for some of these businesses? One of the things you have to have in order to really build on AI and predictive analytics, machine learning, whatever, deep learning, et cetera, is you got to have data. 
how much data do you have and what are the different sources that it comes from in order to really fuel that those models, right? And in our industry, one of the real pieces of value is, particularly in sports, okay, the average time that a customer spends at a business. So let's just use the example of how long is little Johnny or little Sarah members at sports baseball facility. And typically on average, they join around the age of eight and they leave around the age of 18. And that makes sense because as you, you come into the sporting age of eight, you start playing the game, you love it, keep going. And then when you graduate high school, you know, a small percentage goes on to college. And at that point, you know, development is, is very different than the youth athlete because typically the university and those coaches, you know, take it on themselves. And so the data of that individual, little Johnny and little Sarah is tremendously valuable for us to be able to help think about, you know, if you're a parent, is that even the right sport? Is the rate of their development, you know, the right rate of development, you know, are they participating in enough events? And so we can start to think about using data to do a number of different things, right? Help parents think about what sports to play, help the business predict churn by using K-means analysis, um, you know, cluster analysis uh, as another form. Looking at lifetime value, you could cluster different members into lifetime buckets. And you know, what are the things that represent the highest lifetime value customer for a sports fitness business? What are they doing that tier two is not doing, that tier three is not doing? And then that helps really open up the floodgates for you know, our customers figuring out, man, all this time I've been sending, I got 20,000 contacts and I just blast those 20,000 contacts every day. But you know, now I've learned that you know, there are people that should be categorized as the non-persuadables or the do not touch because you actually hurt your conversion rate and increasing your costs when you're hitting those people that don't want to be hit. Instead of focusing your marketing budget and your touches, your time on the persuadables, you know, that category that, hey, if we hit these people at the right time with the right messaging, because it's going to actually improve their performance. Now we're starting to help that business make money all within the realm of, again, facilitating the software piece. But to get there, you've got to understand, going back to that original question of separating the software and facilitation to the education of just running the business and applying it to the software, you know, that's where the education piece comes in because, you know, you're kind of merging the data scientist and data engineer with the business analyst. And it's not easy for sure. I went to a pretty good business school and I, I know it's not easy. That's a great answer. Thank you. That was very meaty. That's exactly what I was looking for. I appreciate that. Fun stuff to talk about as well. And I'm sure you have your share of conversations with people about these types of topics on data analytics. And it's just, it's fun. Just thinking right now that the Zencaster is storing the audio somewhere and it'll run through some deep learning uh, models. Somewhere it'll be used, right? To identify what are the keywords that, that make a good answer. I, you know, it's just fun. It's exciting to be part of that kind of conversation. Wow. Yeah. You just blew my mind. I guess I never thought about Zencaster doing that before, <laughs> but they must. Like there's no way they're not doing that. You're right. It's great yeah. insight. Yeah, they could probably identify whether you're going to keep paying for this based on how long your podcasts are going, what words you use, you know, and then all of a sudden that spits out an email to the person and says, hey, you know, we'll give you the next month free because we know you, you know, the tone of your voice wasn't happy the last one, you know, um, it's just, it's just crazy. <laughs> uh, that's why that Apple development conference, you know, they, and I don't know if you, I was watching because they're fun to see how they present, but every single UX UI feature they announce. And I think one of the guys even used um, jokingly is like deep neural network at work here. And it's like, no, we know because, you know, all the things you're doing on our phones now is like, it's just running in the background, you know? Yeah. Once your user base is big enough. And when people hear that, they often think like, 
oh, once I have a couple thousand users, like, no, like you need Apple size scale yeah. to do this. But once your user base is big enough, you don't need to ask what needs to change, what needs to happen. It's in there, right? Like you can see it clearly in the data. That's what is so fascinating to me. And one of the big things they had on there, because and, and this sort of speaks to that point about you stop listening to customer because you're listening to them by looking at that data. You know, they are, they're adding a bunch of functionality to be able to watch TV shows together, you know, or listen to music while you're on the phone together. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I mean, I've never done that. I don't think I ever will, but I'm not the newest, youngest generation, right? All these kids on TikTok and all the things they can do. It's like, maybe that's what they want to live online. You know, and it's like Apple surely knows. I mean, they want to launch it if they didn't know. And that also raises, you know, a larger question of competition and how easy is it for Apple to eliminate a small business who has a great idea that could grow but get squashed because Apple's bigger and sort of can pick out that business model and run with it. Yeah, that's definitely a concern that I certainly have and see, and not just with them either, you know, it's Peloton and, and, and everybody. But again, it goes back to like the data, like get on it and, you know, hopefully you're not too far behind to catch up. Yeah. Any thoughts on, since we're kind of on this topic and this is somewhat still relevant in the news, when you think about technology regulation, whether that's specifically on some of the ethical side of data and artificial intelligence, or whether it's just about the size of Apple, Amazon, Google, right, to Facebook, some of the bigger ones out there, anything that you're excited to be seen right now that is kind of front of mind as you evaluate kind of the strategic roadmap for upper hand and where you guys are going next? You know, a lot of people tend to think when you start talking big tech, you know, is it going to get political? And it really isn't. It's a the reason monopoly rules and regulations are supposed to exist is to make sure the playing field is level because you have a lot of young companies that could be very innovative that uh, if given a fair chance, I'm not necessarily talking about upper hand, I'm just saying in general, when you look at the overall market, you know, give them an opportunity to grow and who knows, competition's good for the consumer, right? Now, having said that, I also love what AI does. I mean, think about how fast, you know, like we use G Suite as a company and how fast they launch a new feature that's like, man, okay, that was awesome. And we'll use it because right. they know we'll use it. But on the flip side of that, you know, it, it does get concerning about, you know, number one, 90% of people don't understand. They hear predictive analytics, deep learning, they think, oh yeah, that's cool, catchy. But when you listen to like Elon Musk break it down on a Seth Rogen podcast or Joe Rogan podcast, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it starts to open your eyes to, man, the things that they can do with those TikTok videos sitting on a server, what they're doing with everything you, just even when you type a post in Facebook and then you delete it, that's stored somewhere. So they know what you originally thought, but then what you actually post. And then what you can do with that, with the, the different modeling that exists in the market, it becomes very, very concerning. I think not just from a fair level playing field, but I think honestly, in terms of national security and a whole bunch of stuff, you know, where's that data stored? So I, it's an exciting topic, and I don't think people should be afraid of, of AI. I think AI is going to be amazing, and, and it already is. It's just, and it's super fun to talk about. But like anything, uh, in moderation, right? We don't want uh, anybody to be too big. You know, it can create some challenges in a number of ways. Yeah, very much so. You know, I don't know this, and I didn't think to ask in the pregame. Do you have kids? I do. Yeah, a five-year-old son turns six in July, and a two-year-old daughter turns three in August. Henry and Victoria. Awesome. I love five. I have a five-year-old as well. Uh, it is it's, yeah, it's incredible. It might be my favorite age, like that five to seven peak. 
All right. So when you think of your kids, so th and they're actually great ages for this question, when you think of your kids growing up in today's world, literally a digital first world, what are some of your thoughts as a parent in terms of, I mean, it is kind of a dichotomy, right? Like, how do I prepare them to go conquer in this world? And at the same time, how do I prepare them to not get conquered by this world and only be obsessed with technology and digital experiences and completely forget an active lifestyle and stuff like that, which I suppose is maybe easier in your world because you're constantly talking about sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But just be interested in your thoughts there. How do you navigate that? Or, I mean, you're just starting to get there with your five-year-old. How are you thinking you'll navigate that? Well, man, it's any parent knows it's a challenge. Like with the devices, you know, it's sort of like, you know, the tone of voice when you say devices with children is right. probably <laughs> a, a bad thing. But, you know, we talk about it a lot, you know, are, are they on it too much? What's the difference between having a handheld device versus, you know, let them watch a TV show, right? Because they're two different, they're two totally different things, right? You know, in a lot of ways, TV is, you know, watching something that can be very educational, but also a handheld device can be educational too. And our stance on it as parents is basically, look, they live in a digital world, that's not going to change. So we're not going to fight not letting them have a device when we're at sitting at a restaurant, want to enjoy ourselves or at the house here and there. I think for us, it's just, they're not going to live on it, right? There's still people in the world and, you know, you don't want to develop a curved spine and you want to move. And there's a lot of data and you know, digital stuff out there that tells us moving and exercise is, is very critical to health because a lot of people think this is the, you know, our kids are the generation that will live forever, you know, knock on wood. But it's one of those things that in moderation uh, a little bit, but also understanding they're going to be in a world that we're not going to understand. But you also don't want them to be inept in, in understanding that digital world either. So you let them grow with it and then kind of be like a CIA agent and always know what's going on in the background. I <laughs> nice. uh, love it. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been a blast. And if folks want to get in touch with you, learn more about Upper Hand, what's the best way for them to do that? They can just go to getupperhand.com. My email address is just kevin at getupperhand.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and very active on there. That's probably my favorite social network uh, because it just seems like you can get away from politics typically. So find me on there. If you have questions, want to talk, it doesn't have to be up, about a brand and talk about your own business. That'd, that'd be great. And, you know, I uh, kind of like you on these podcasts. It's just fun to hear what people are up to and talk about where things are going. It's kind of like doing push-ups every time I do one of these. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me better at my own business. That's right. It, it gives you perspective for sure. It really does. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Great experience too. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.